You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. You guys had a great week here. Amazing, right? Last weekend, I think you had this uh, men's thing, right? Act like men, Palooza. And uh, this week, you nailed it with your uh, VBS going crazy. I was watching that little kid do his dance online this week, celebrating with you. And uh, so excited to be with you. Let me add my welcome to you as well. If you're new or visiting, uh, Pastor Trent, uh, a dear friend, we met back in uh, 2008. We were in our first year of a church plant in Florida. And he was kicking the tires on harvest and came to uh, meet with us in a band hall at a school as we were uh, getting off the, the ground and so exciting, so thankful to see what God is doing here. And so on behalf of Pastor Trent, I would welcome you also. And, uh, and if you hate what happens here this morning, come back because he's really good. So uh, that's why he's in Arizona uh, sharing God's word. But we're, uh, we're glad you're here and happy Father's Day as well. Uh, great to be a dad. I am a dad to five beautiful, amazing daughters. And uh, applications are at the back. Um, not really, really. Um, but uh, we, are, we love our girls. And man, if, if you're a parent, you just look at your kids when they're this big and you're like, where in the world? I think we have a photo of them. In, in fact, I'm quite sure we do. There they are. Where, where does the time go, right? I mean, they were just this big and now they're all grown up and you start to look back and to remember together what, what lessons you learned, what you laughed about. And, and one of the games my kids loved to play was, was not just hide and seek, but hide and seek tickle. And dad's right, you're with me. Sometimes your kids, I mean, you're looking for them and they, they are just so hard to find. I mean, where are they? Where are you? Where are you? And Life is fun, but life tends to change. We grow up and our games of hide and seek really aren't played with laughters and uh, expectations of, of uh, dodging dad who's chasing you around the house, but, but it becomes a, a game of hiding really from some of the things that have hurt us, uh, some of the things that have been hard. And a hiding place ultimately kind of takes this turn to the negative and uh, is this way in which we remove ourselves from, from maybe the people and maybe some of the places where God would meet with us. And so I'm so grateful that on a day when we celebrate our, our dad, our father who is in heaven, we have a God who is willing to pursue us and has put a plan into place through his son Jesus Christ to come and find us, to seek and to save us. When you think about what the scripture says, so many different ways God's word reminds us of the role that Jesus is providing on the Father's behalf to seek and to save. John 4, 14, the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man has come to, to seek and to save that which was lost. And I love this, this just awakens my imagination. John 1, 18, no one has seen God at any time. And if, if you believe, as I do, as I believe the scriptures teach, an orthodox understanding of God is that you will never see him, ever, never. Well, how about in heaven? Never, never, but we'll see the sun. And the great news is, as John says, uh, the only begotten, speaking about Christ, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained to him. So what is, what is God our Father like? 
Well, Jesus explains him. Jesus helps us understand what our Father in heaven who is like, who loves us, who is this morning looking for us and meets us in this uh, amazing uh, passage today. John's gospel, maybe a familiar one, uh, chapter four, but maybe there are some hidden things there that God would use to help us as we gather this morning. I'm so glad you're here. Can't wait for us to get together around John chapter four, Jesus and this precious person he meets with. But like, uh, like so many things, it, it can be only a, a public thing and not a personal thing. And so just wanna pause for a moment and ask that you would just bow your head, close your eyes, and just take a moment to prepare your heart to invite God's Holy Spirit, to invite him to use his word to help you to create maybe some even moments of uh, transparency, humility, and, and ask the Lord, God, is there something that I've been hiding from you? Is there something maybe hidden to me that you would illuminate in my time with you this morning? Help me. And so God, we, uh, we thank you that you are an awesome Father who is in heaven. God, that you love us like we can only begin to understand, but you have demonstrated that love in sending your own son that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God, thanks that you've sent him. Thanks that he would find us here this morning, that your word, which is living and active, would again grip our hearts with your goodness and remind our Lord of the ways that you would work in our lives. And so God, I just thank you that you have had a purpose for placing us in this room this morning. We thank you that you are a good, good father. We just uh, make ourselves available now to your Holy Spirit. We pray for your glory and in Jesus' name. And if you agree with that, just say amen. 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 We'll grab your copy of God's word if you haven't already. You can join me, John's Gospel, uh, chapter four. Uh, we'll be beginning in verse three there. As you uh, find your way there, you could also maybe pull out those uh, notes from your bulletin and jot some of the things down that we would see and celebrate uh, together today. Uh, the first thing would be this bottom line or maybe a big idea we could start with that would go something like this, that, that Jesus joins us in our hidden places and provides life-altering hope. I mean, this world we live in is so crazy and apart from the Lord would be horrific, but, but he joins us in those horrible, hard, difficult hurts in the hidden places and gives us life, altering hope. I love it. I hope you will as we see it together. And so three ways that we uh, maybe would see some things previously hidden in God's word. The first would be this, is that he finds the hidden. He finds the hidden. Look with me now, John 4, verse 3. He left Judea and went away again into Galilee. And verse 4, he had to pass through Samaria. Now, it's an interesting phrase, he had to pass. Now, um, if you wanted to come to Harvest Granger this morning, you might have said, well, I had to go down this road. But what I want you to see, the, the different way we would look at that is he, he had to. He could not not go that particular way because there was divine purpose that God had put in motion that is happening right before our eyes. When he left Judea and went away again into Galilee, 
he had to pass through Samaria. So let's begin by getting our geographic bearings. If uh, you are perhaps challenged in that way, as many times I am, you can even flip to the other side of your notes and see there a map for this piece of promised property that has been fought over for thousands of years that really provides then this kind of understanding of what's happening. Most good Jews would avoid this particular place that Jesus is journeying through called Samaria. They would have gone a different route, a different way, as you can see there uh, in red. Most Jews avoiding their arch enemies up that direction, up that route. Jesus, however, off the beaten path into a place most wouldn't have gone to find something hiding there that he would give hope to a person who needed the love of the Lord. It's such a beautiful uh, place, such a beautiful picture. We might for fun even consider it's like one of these uh, uh, mental kind of middle school math problems. You remember those, right? Okay, a camel leaves Jerusalem traveling three miles an hour and is on its way to Galilee, right? And, and at the same time, uh, from a city just outside of Jerusalem, a chariot leaves run by two horses traveling at six miles an hour who eats more matzah before getting to Galilee, right? I mean, it's, it's like, does this make any sense? Why are we doing this? Does this have any real world value? Well, I hope that you would see in this map, as I hope that you could celebrate in your life, and Jesus, Jesus goes out of the way to get the goodness of the gospel into our hearts. And he's doing it right here, and he's doing it right here. Jesus getting the goods where it needs to go. But it's an interesting equation, and what I hope is happening is that it sets the stage and kind of saturates this, the scene here with some intrigue and some potential scandal, because certainly that's how many would have heard it and read it. Good Jews wouldn't have anything to do with Sumerians. Right? I mean, we have even the parable of the good, tell me, the good... Samaritan, because it would have been so ironic to them. Hold on a second. The Samaritan was the good guy? Samaritans are our enemies. Jesus saying, look, if you are willing to let me in your life, I can change anyone in any way. But it points to purpose. Had to go through Samaria. Intentionality, plans, sovereignty, all of those things, they're hidden in plain sight. Look at verse five. The backstory continues to build a bit. Verse five, so he came to the city of Samaria called Sychar near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. First kind of sub-thought that we would expose is that he finds us in any place. And the name of this place in particular, again, you'll see in the text there is Sychar. Uh, perhaps you'll know the word or term sepulcher sepulcher or maybe more even common than that would be grave or tomb. And so you could say, kind of, if you're just going to be cute about it, this was tomb town. And this was kind of grave city. Well, why exactly? Because there's a particular grave there, a parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, who was buried there. Remember the guy with the really colorful coat that totally ticked off his brothers? Remember that guy? Not a, not a great Father's Day lesson. <laughs> like, have have favorites in your family, like not a great lesson. And so, but this is that town. And just think about all the things that's being said here as we're kind of building this momentum to what Christ ultimately comes to say, that 
that he's coming to a place he probably shouldn't have gone. Most wouldn't have. He's going to this place that's called Tombtown. It represents death. It, it represents favoritism and things that, that ought not exact. All these things, and yet God still, God still works. Tombs, graves, dead things in your life are past. No problem for the Lord. What does he tell another woman who is looking for the Lord to help? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. There, loved ones, there is no place the Lord cannot work. Do you love that? Look at the text, verse six. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. As you can see in the slide here, a convent's now been built over what was presumed to have been uh, that well where Jesus sat. But I, I love the scene, too, of, of Jesus, is, even though he had to go, he's not in a hurry. He knows exactly what he's got to do, exactly where he's got to be. And as he is, I believe, in a way with us right now, he's just sitting down beside us. He's on time, he's not late. Sitting down by the well and waiting for this woman to join him. You can see again at the end of the phrase there, it's the sixth hour. Jewish timetable means that that was about noon. Uh, a toasty time of day, right? Kind of high noon, kind of a Western thing. You got your good Western whistle, right? Right? I mean, it, I mean it's, it's this time, this place, this kind of loaded scene and event where all this stuff is coming to bear in front of us this morning. I love the fact that uh, he comes at this particular time. Most women in the village would have been there early in the morning or late in the evening when it was cool, not at high noon, not at the uh, temperature time that Jesus shows up to make this really purposeful now pit stop to meet this woman. He finds us anywhere. He finds us anytime. Look at verse seven. So here she comes. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy a food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And so there's this really crazy interpersonal connection that's going on in a couple levels that are helpful for us to understand as well. First, Jesus is a man, and he's talking to a woman, and as a dad of five daughters, married a woman, we all know, guys, right, that women have cooties, right? They are crazy, but we love them. They do things to us. They make us feel certain ways. And it was a cultural no-no for a guy to be with a woman in that world in that day. But it's not just that he was a man and she was a woman, problem number one. But even as she says, look at the text, since I am a, a what kind of woman again? A, a Samaritan woman. Like Jews don't deal with Samaritans and Samaritans do not deal with Jews. It's just... Not the way things work, don't you understand? And so what I want you to feel a bit is the awkwardness in the air. I'm not sure how exactly for us to 
capture some of what was perhaps going on or would have been felt there, especially when the disciples walk up on them and like, oh, well, what's going on here? And just taking back a, a few years to a time in our country and culture where there were Samaritans and there were Jews and they were called different things and known by different names, but, and this is not something in our past, true or false, something continually being fought about in cities almost daily in the news. When I was uh, growing up, my grade school years, I lived in uh, Frederick, Maryland, and there was one day after school was let out, the SWAT team had descended upon the city, and uh, there was a, a riot about to break out. I had been jumped on the way home from school one day and beaten up by some older kids that were not the same kind of kid that I was, and so I, I get all that. I've experienced that. I, I've felt the, the rage and the anger. So all of that, again, ought to suggest to us this isn't going to happen. Not this kind of person, not this kind of place, not in this atmosphere environment, but hold on because you'd be so wrong. God finds us wherever we are, whatever is going on. I love uh, what... Paul writes in Galatians 3.28, he says this, reminding us there is neither Jew nor Greek or Samaritan. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. God breaks down every barrier, every boundary, can find any person in any place. He's awesome. He is a good, good father. And man, does he love you. And he's seeking to perhaps save you today or to show you again how he would invade those hidden spots and create hope for you. He finds us in any place at any time. And again, he finds anybody. Jesus joins us in our hidden places, providing life-altering hope. And one kind of sidebar, if you'd give me just a moment for kind of an interesting sidebar, um, would be contrasting chapter 4 with chapter 3. In chapter three, um, there's this guy named Nicodemus. Does anybody remember Nicodemus and what Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about? Christians kind of get labeled as blank, blank Christians. You know what that phrase, born again, right? You remember that? So this is Nicodemus, chapter three, who is a religious scholar. So he works at the local seminary. He's got like the whole Bible memorized. He's one of those guys, right? Um, and you're like, oh, Nicodemus, you know, let's, you know, give him room. Let him pray. Let him, you know, do all that kind of stuff like that because he's really spiritual. And well, then on the other hand, you have chapter four, you've got this woman. And we don't even know her name. We never learn her name. And uh, she's a Samaritan. She's not a Jew. Uh, Nicodemus is, I mean, you have this amazing, beautiful way that in God's word, he's reminding us that there's nobody hidden from the hope that I have. Some people, like Nicodemus, may think they're so spiritual they don't need salvation. They're so religious, but I love that. As you kind of turn the tables then, no one can rise too high to be above the need for salvation. Nicodemus, your, your works, your righteousness, nothing you can do gets God's attention and says, oh, wow, we got to save that guy. We got to save that girl. Have you, seen, have you seen their lapel, all the little buttons and stars and all the cool stuff, right? Of course. There's nothing. Even our best stuff is still lacking. But God can save us if we'll humble ourselves. 
In chapter four, what's in front of us today, I love that because the exact other side is also true, that no one can fall too low to be on beyond the hope of salvation. You didn't bring anything in here today where God's like, wow, I didn't know we were going to talk about that, right? Um, hold on a second. Let's talk, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We'll be back. I mean, there's nothing that you've done that you're doing, anything that's hidden that would prevent you from having hope this morning. And you should say amen. One, two, three, ready? Say it. Amen. amen. And God is so good. He frees, second point, he frees the hidden. Check out what we see in the text, verse 13. And Jesus answered to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become to him, in him, a well of water springing up to eternal life. The, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all this way here to draw. Now Jesus just kind of drops this life-changing lesson bomb on her that she shouldn't be missing but does and we shouldn't be missing but often do. It's because we get stuck kind of in this literal look at everything. We, we get our nose in the Bible and get so close that we really can't see. So here's a couple examples just to press you a little bit. Are you locked in the literal? This is, of course, woman out in the waves. Well, she's surfing the web, duh, right? All right, come on, come on, come on. All right, next one. You warmed up now. This is, of course, mac and cheese, right? It's mac and cheese. <laughs> oh, oh, we get so literal. That's where she was locked in, was on the literal. You've got water. I need water. I hate coming out here in the heat of the day. And really, what she does not get is the reason that she wants that water is because when, when you've got some stuff that's happened in your life, and I've had some stuff that's happened in my life, I'm, I'm not talking to somebody uh, out there. I'm talking to myself when I'm saying this. When, when we've got some stuff, it is so tempting to pull back and to, to hide ourselves. And this is her whole life, is, is, is running undercover, pulling out from the place where people are. And so if you've got something that will help me stay away from the people that are going to mock me or expose me or force me to deal with my problems, I'm in. But she doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. It's not, I'm not talking about physical water. I'm talking about a spiritual reality here. I don't know what you think you need this morning, but what you need is not merely your only physical help. It is the spiritual hope that only God is able to give. Exactly what Jesus was offering to her, to us, verse 16. So he's, he's gonna help her understand that he's speaking about kind of a different plane, a different way of working through things. Look at the text, verse 16. He said to her, go call your husband and come here. Now today is a special day, today, today only, two for one, free water forever, right? Uh, the woman answered and said, I, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, and he's loving. He's not yelling at her. I don't think he has a, a, a smidge of attitude. He's not uh, 
digging, he's not condemning, there's nothing hostile. Because lots of times when, when things have been hard or we've got some, some bags, some skeletons in our closet, we, we tend to think God's gonna pummel us first because that's what we do. Come here, let me tell you a lesson. Let me, let me teach you and maybe then you won't do it. It's not like, it's not like him. I'm so thankful. You have correctly said I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one who you have now is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, kind of the understatement of the whole text, right? Sir, I, I perceive that you're a prophet, right? How did you know? It's kind of crazy to think that she would have been sitting there and Christ would know her every single thought. Just look at the person next to you and say, he still does, right? He knows exactly what's going on right now in our lives, in our hidden places, in the cracks and crevices of our walks. He still does. The reality is often that the physical and emotional wounds, though, are often the ways that God gets into our lives. Because when, when your thing is in a basket, when your thing is not in a great place, you are acutely aware that I need something different. And through those things, God often meets us at the well. Love it. Freeing her. Freeing her from what exactly? Not condemning her, but freeing her. Well, first of all, freeing her for some broken boundaries. Obviously, she's got some relational breaches, some broken boundaries. Before she's ready to drink the water that would deliver her, free her, she does what most of us do, and maybe you're even doing right now, which is she dodges, right? She dodges. Instead of going deeper, instead of drinking from the well, look what she does, verse 20. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem, the places where men ought to worship, Jesus said to her, women, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. His point is it's not about a place. It's about the person we connect with that is with us wherever we are. Verse 22, the, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews, but... The hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Hold on, didn't he just do that to you, <laughs> right? And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So if you're, if you're kind of an analytical type, you know, kind of the, the logic flow, are you gonna map out this argument? It doesn't make any sense at all. So, prophet, while we're on the topic of multiple marriages and loose living, where do you think we should worship, right? Should we go to a mega church or a mini church or a house church or a denominational church or a traditional church or a contemporary church? And she totally dodges the, the real subject matter that the Lord would deal with. I'm not saying where does it matter. I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad the Lord has brought you here to sit by the well with him. But really, the most important thing we would deal with today is the who. A God who loves you, loves you, loves you like crazy. 
and has demonstrated that love by giving of his own son, a father sacrificing his son in our place, that because of what we have done, he would wipe it out, wipe it away, and give us new and living, everlasting life, that we would worship out of love and joy of what the Father has done through the Son. She needed help from broken boundaries. Maybe you do too. She needed help from ritualistic religion. Maybe you do too. You know, too many of us get trapped in that, right? I mean, true story, you know, this is silly, but I'll say it anyway. I mean, up to about two, three years ago, I wore a suit and tie every Sunday. I just, I couldn't not do it. The, the ties just called to me in the morning. Sunday morning came and it's, you know, just kind of flapped in my closet and called out to me, you know, put me on. And I felt weird being at church if I, because I grew up in that kind of church. Like the only instrument we had when I was growing up was a big old fat organ. Maybe on like one of those high holy days, you'd get a trumpet volatile or maybe some violins, right? Oh, cool. It's happening now. Some of us get stuck in some of that kind of stuff. What people wear, how exactly they worship, uh, whether it's traditional or contemporary, how many hymns, who cares? Who are you worshiping? Is it coming from your heart? That's what matters most. But tradition, religion, gets us stuck. It got a guy named C.S. Lewis stuck. You probably heard of him, right? Wrote that Chronicles of Narnia series, like his bestie was J.R.R. Token, who wrote the Lord of the Rings, all that stuff. And J.R.R. was already a believer in Christ, was trying to persuade C.S. that he should consider the claims of Christ. And he was like, nah, I'm going to prove you all wrong. Just watch me. And yet... He becomes, in his own words, the most reluctant sinner in England the night that he bowed his knee. But back to the beginning, when you talk about kind of the difference from childhood to adulthood, I like the way, he's a writer, so he says stuff in really sweet ways. I like the way he kind of presents and paints this picture for us. So I want to read this to you. It is always shocking to meet life where we thought we were alone. Look out, we cry. It's alive. And therefore, this is the very point at which so many draw back. I would have done so myself if I could and proceeded no further with Christianity. An impersonal God, well and good. A subjective God of beauty, truth, and goodness inside our own heads, better still. A formless life force surging through us, a, a vast power which we can tap best of all. But God himself, alive, pulling at the other end of the cord, perhaps approaching at infinite speed, the hunter king husband, that is quite another matter. There comes a moment when the children who have been playing at burgers hush suddenly. Can you see them in the hallway? Was that, was that a real footstep in the hall? There comes a moment when people who have been dabbling in religion man's search for God, suddenly draw back, supposing we really found him. We never meant it to come to that. We're still supposing he had found us. I mean, that is the hope I would want you to have today, that once again, as we've gathered, God has found us. He is seeking, he is searching for the lost. He is, he is looking for those lives that have been hidden or allowed something to be hidden that would hold you back from his presence. He's here to help. He's here to help her, to love her, to free her. And I really love this point. 
in John's gospel, this is the first person that Jesus decides to declare his divine nature to. A woman, a Samaritan woman, whose name we never even learn. Jesus says, I am he whom you're talking about. Hope in our hiding place, a shady lady from Tombtown who had a bunch of stuff going on in her past, living with her boyfriend, broken boundaries, doesn't understand real relationship, caught up in religion, about to delay a decision. Look at verse 28. He frees us from delayed decisions and maybe he would do that today. So the woman left her water pot and went into that city and said to the men, come, see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? I love that phrase. Who's told me all the things that I've done. Because man, for you and for me, that, that can be a moment in your spiritual life when you get how God loves you. So God stands outside of time and yet sees it all at once. And so when the scripture says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, he saw my sin in the past, he sees my sin right now, and today he sees my future sin. He's told me all the things about myself and he still came and he still loves me and his grace is still sufficient for me and his mercies are new still every morning. I mean, this ought to just blow your mind. A couple years ago, we were uh, in Niagara and you just stand in front of a a waterfall like that and it's just, how, how does that happen? Like, where's the switch? What's running that? You know, who refills it? You know, but millions of gallons every second. John 1.16 says, of all his fullness, we have received. It's a waterfall. And grace upon grace upon grace. He knows it all. He knows it all well, I've I've gotten this hidden back here or this is really hard for me and I've never told anybody else about it and maybe he would not want me in his little nice people church club if we went pup. He already knows about it. He knows. And he loves you anyway. The Father's love is crazy, amazing, awesome, demonstrated in Jesus. Come, come. Would you come today, right here, and see a man who told me all things that I have done? This is not the Christ, is it? He is the Savior. Look at verse 39. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because this missionary. Hold on a second. This woman, this crazy woman from Samaria with all this backstory, like she's a missionary? Yeah, isn't that sweet? The word of the woman who testified, he told me all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to to stay with them and they stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word and then they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard for ourselves. That's your part this morning. And know that this one is indeed the Savior of 
the world. He finds us. He frees us. And now back to this picture of the water. He fills us. He fills us. Water, of course, major ingredient in uh, human body 101. 65% of who you are is fluid. Water. So what a great analogy for Jesus to use. You you can't go but two or three days without this stuff. You've got to have it. Where can I find it? Give me some more of it. Jesus knows what you need. We need him to fill us, to flow through us. Several years ago, our church, over a number of years, about five, went to a a town in Africa, Benin, West Africa. Actually, the first thing we did over several years was we we dug a a trench that would bring a water line into a village. They had had to walk for about five miles to get water every day. And uh, when we were there, we we had to pump water, purify it every day. If you wanted to brush your teeth, you wanted to cook, I mean, anything you wanted to do with water, we had to clean it first. And so I really got what it means for Jesus to be at this well and for her to understand the importance and vitality of water. And I mean, ultimately, we built a church right at the end where, where the spigot comes on and off of the water. That people who used to walk away from the village would now walk to the church. And just a turn flows and flows and flows and flows living water. If you just come, to the source, to the supply. God would fill us up. What a sweet reminder, a way to see what's being said here. If you jump back for a second to verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus joins us in our hidden places, fills us with life-altering hope, displaces hurt, displaces what's been hard in our lives, fills in cracks and crevices, is the constant and ongoing source and supply. Have you gotten held up in broken boundaries? Have you gotten hung up in religious tradition? Have you gotten hung up in dodging the question, delaying your response? So I believe the Father's appeal to you is don't delay. If you knew who it was, you would have a living well that would never cease. So as we just kind of take the turn now and try and certainly apply it as personally as we can, two different lists that we would look at together. The first is just some of those things that perhaps are hidden for us things I'm hiding for, and if really I was gonna write over this even two macros, it would be guilt and shame. Guilt is the inside job. I know I'm not who I want to be. I know I've failed the Lord. That's the inside stuff that just wears on us and eats us. Shame is the external. Other people 
know that I'm not who I say I am, what I'm trying to do or how I've lived or some of the stupid things that have now gone public. That's the public part is the shame, guilt and shame, financially, abuse or addiction, career disappointment. Maybe it's sexual, spiritual, faith doubts, marriage. Maybe there's some stuff that the Lord has brought you here today. He wants you to let him into that hidden thing. Don't dodge. Our marriage is fine. We put on a little smiley face right in the parking lot. Works perfectly. Nobody thinks a thing, asks a question. So, what maybe are you hiding from? How will the Lord meet you and encourage you today? If it's not on a list, is there something in there? That's the what, next is the where. Where I'm hiding. Guys are great at this. We find so often our identity in what we do. We become human, human doings, not human beings. My job defines me, my income defines me, what I drive defines me, what I wear defines me. My identity has got to be in Christ. I might be hiding in something, something secret, an affair, an addiction, Apathy, anger, past times. So Jesus makes a detour. Goes to this place he really probably shouldn't have gone. Talks to somebody that most people would say you shouldn't talk to. And gives her something that nobody would have believed was possible. And he wants to give that to you. John 4, 42. I hope that you would say and you would celebrate again today. This man is really the savior of the world. And he wants to be the savior of your soul. And he wants to be the supply of your soul. He is a good and awesome father who joins us in our hidden places and provides life-altering hope. Just take a moment, make that personal. Just quiet your spirit and just ask God, why have you met me here today? See yourself sitting as she was at that well with the savior of the world. He finds us. He frees us. He fills us. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you are our Father who is in heaven. Or when you taught your disciples to pray, you didn't teach them to pray to some power or force or celestial being. Would you desired that we would know you as our Father. And God, we want to hollow your name. We want to lift up your name together today. Thank you that you love us. You've demonstrated that love through Christ. You've demonstrated that love through Christ that while we were yet sinners, you died to save us. And God, if we would repent and turn, as Acts 3.19 says, times of refreshment would come from the presence of the Lord. 
God, thank you that there is nothing hidden. There is nothing that has been done against us, any hurt too big, any past too bad. That God, you don't have the power to deliver us from or walk us through. So God, we walk by faith, not by sight. We trust you and trust that this living water from your word would well up within us. Thank you for Harvest Granger. God, thank you for the good work that you've begun. I thank you, as Paul says, that we can be confident that you will finish it. So Lord, by your grace and your kindness and goodness, might you grant repentance and faith today to trust you, to let you in, and to bear out testimonies of stories of this woman. Come and see the man who told me all things. Lord, you are the Savior, Lord. We love you, we praise you, we worship you now. In your name we pray, amen.